You know, I was listening to Roger talk about we don't normally have another song, but we're just going to have another song. I wonder what it would be like if I got to end of my message and say, now, we only normally just have one message, but I just feel led to have another message right now. I wonder how many of you I'd see going out the back door. <laughs> you know, Mary Martha went out of town for a while, and when she came back, she brought three additional people with her. And I would suggest all of you do that, you know? I mean, this is wonderful. When she was uh, just a teenager, growing up and setting up here with her family, I always kid her about her name, Mary Martha, because in the Mary and the Martha in the Bible, I said, this means that you are a double tasker. You can do two things at once. And she confirmed while ago, we were sitting in the foyer out there, she's learned how to do three or four things at once now with her young budding family. It's good to have you here. And those little children are precious. I love those babies. Well, God's unique love. What is that? God's unique love. It's his agape love. God's unique love at work for us, in us, and through us. First John chapter 4, we can read in verse 17, but I'm also going to read down through, I think, 5-3 as well. <laughs> Last week, you know, I hit on in that message about types, tithing and sodomy and whatever. And I made the comment, you know, that it was exhilarating to feel that to preach on tithing and know you couldn't be fired. Just to say, don't come back next week. Well, when I was standing back at the back and y'all were going by, one of you ladies were, or two of you were coming by me and talking to me at that time, while I was talking to him, Roger folded me a piece of paper, folded up, handed it to me in there, and the lady said, see, they're already giving you your pink slip. <laughs> and Randy Roberts said, right, we had nine visitors today, and you're preaching and tithing. They're never coming back. They say all you Baptists talk about is money. And that's not true, is it? We don't. <laughs> 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect. Let's go back up to 16. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. He so believe, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We love each other. We're, we enjoy being together. Enjoy worshiping together, studying your word together, Father, in our classes and here in, in the worship center. We're delighted, Lord, that uh, you have led people around the the planet to join us in service and worship this morning. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you, all of us here in the auditorium, those that are listening in now over the internet, through the media. We commit this time to you, Lord, that it bring you glory and honor and praise. That your word be preached, taught as it is. 
And Lord, that our hearts would receive it as your word and your word alone. Lord, guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That there not be anything added to or taken away or detracting from your word. Wear me, Father, like a garment for your honor, for your praise, for your pleasure, and for our good in Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen and amen. Well, fear and love are part and parcel of every human being by God's creative design. Fear and love, that's part of our makeup by God's creative design. It's necessary. Fear, the emotion, certainly is necessary. It's necessary for our own good because it's good to fear some things. It's good to get out of the way of some things. It's a necessary part for our safety and our survival having a certain aspect of fear about us, caution. I've seen those, you probably have as well, that have fear that's gone off the chart. You know, they have phobias beyond what would be normal. Phobia coming from phobus, fear. But fear normally is good. I took a load of teachers down to Pensacola, Florida from our Christian Academy and my first pastor at one time and we you know, it's a long drive down there, <laughs> and uh, took them down in our van, and I drove that van all day long. <laughs> we got in there late in the evening, and this beautiful campus, they had high-rise, eight-foot, you know, dorms, eight-story dorms. So I took the ladies to that dorm to drop them off, and then two or three men where we were going to order the men's dorm. Well, when we got out there, we were unloading the luggage. This one woman realized that their room was up there on the seventh or eighth floor and she went into panic mode. And this other lady was trying to console her and then she told me what the problem was. She had a fear of heights, major fear of heights. And then, I said, you know, I'm tired, right? I've been driving a little. And this other lady that was trying to console her said, Pastor, you're not being very sympathetic. And I said, I'm sorry. I've been in this van all day long. I'm tired. Um, but, but if you ladies want to sleep in the lobby tonight, it's okay, I think, because the doors are locked when you go inside. I'm going over there and go to bed. Well, it worked out. I got her up there, but it was, it was paralyzing. And that's fear beyond what God has given us. And there's a lot of fears like that, claustrophobia or whatever, that can get out of hand and really cause some problems. But fear, we must have to be cautious, to lead safe lives and lead our families in a safe way. As we've been studying through the, this first epistle of the Apostle John, we saw there are four types of love that we could identify in the scripture. Three of those four types of love, one is uh, types of love, are one is eros, which is romantic love, then storge, which is the affectionate bond that naturally develops between family members, and then philia, which is that experience-based love, and it can develop between work associates, friends, so forth and so on. It's, it just grows because of our experience with another person or persons that we identify with. Those three types of love. But the fourth type of love that we identified in scriptures is not found in us naturally. It's not in us naturally. It's not part of God's original design for us. Fear is and love of those three types that I mentioned are, but not this one. Agape is not part of God's creative design in humankind originally. It's God's unique love. It preceded creation because he preceded creation, of course. And it's part of his essence. The essence of God, part of him, is love. 
And it's only found in God alone with this exception. It's found in all of his regenerated children. And it comes as part of the regeneration. But going back to fear, and the Greek word translated fear in this passage is phobos. And by the way, you see fear of God and, and, and you know, fear of this and that and the other. There's a fear of God that's reverence for God, and that's certainly appropriate. This is different. This is fear of stuff down here. And it still continues with us, even though we're born of God, we have this unique love of God, this agape love in us by virtue of our new birth in Christ Jesus, fear still abides in us, and it's God designed that it does. And you can see it in Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 3. He said, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or words of wisdom. Now, why would he say that? Because they had all these, uh, you know, supposedly brilliant philosophers going around, eloquent speakers, and he was never professed to be one himself, and others apparently didn't think that of him either. So he said, I didn't come with you excellent speech, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I was determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear. Phobos, that word. I was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. We know what that is, right? You know, I've been a couple of times, I've been scared out of my wits where I was a little bit shaky. And uh, you probably have experienced that as well. Certainly, uh, Paul had plenty of fear along those lines. He had the fear of his own countrymen. Every time he turned a corner, there was someone wanting to stone him or beat him with a rod, you know, or they're trying to throw him in jail, and they did, or whatever. So all of this stuff going on. And then, you know, he had some illness along the way, and the way he had to live, and, you know, the way he was beaten up and all this stuff. He was weak physically at times. There's fears associated with that. But I think it would be safe to submit to you that based on the record of Scripture, that Paul had no fear of God in that regard, phobos, that kind of fear of God. He had no fear of the rapture. He looked forward to it. He looked forward to seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, so much that he anticipated that he might even see him return to earth in his lifetime. So that fear stays with us. Well, about this unique fear, unique love, excuse me, of God at work for us. God's unique love for us began working for us before we existed. Okay? First of all, it's God's electing love. God's electing love. According to has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He predestinated us under the adoption of children. What is that? His elective love, we can see, has this aspect of fatherly love about it, right? He is electing us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did he do it? Because he wanted to do it. He didn't counsel with anyone else. God elected us, that fatherly aspect of his agape love, electing us to be his children through Christ Jesus the Lord. And so I guess it goes without saying then, God's love preceded our loving him. Like our song that Brother Roger picked out at the last there. God's love for us preceded our loving him. Then that's, so that's God's elected love. Then his sending love. He elected us, and then his sending love comes forth. 1 John 4, 10, here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's God's love working for us, before us, for we existed in electing us before the foundation of the earth and then sending his son to pay the price for our sins that we would commit when we landed on planet earth ourselves. Then the next thing we see manifested about God's love is his redeeming love. Elected us, his sending love, sent his son. Now 
His redeeming love. Titus 2.14 Who gave Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That, ladies and gentlemen, is love. God sent his son. He said, This is my beloved son in whom I well please. That son. He sent that son to be a curse for us to pay the price for our sins our sins, those that he had elected to be chosen and chosen to become sons, adopted sons and daughters through Christ Jesus the Lord. As I said, all those, all those aspects there, that his electing love, sending love, redeeming love, were all part of God's expression and work of love at our behalf before our existence. Next, though, it's God's work of love for us after we've been converted. Now, skipping a spot there, now we've come to Christ. Okay, after we've been, been converted, Ephesians 1.14 speaks of this, and this is God's sealing love. He elects, He sends His Son, He redeems, and He seals those whom He has redeemed. Ephesians 1.13-14, And whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom... Also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. What does that mean? Number one, it means security. We've come to Christ. We're going to be in Christ. We're going to stay in Christ. And if we live to be 120 or whatever, we're still going to be in Christ if Christ does not return. Because we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of promise. So it's security. But it's also affirmation. Because we know, those of us who are born of God, we know that we have the Spirit in us. We experience His presence in us. So there's security, also affirmation of our genuine conversion. By the way, that, notice the last phrase, God did all that, sealed us into the, all that. The last phrase is, that verse is, under the praise of his glory. All this God has done, and then the phrase, the first sentence, under the praise of his glory. You know, something we, each of us needs to remember with gratitude daily is this, that our salvation in Christ Jesus is not all about us. It's just not. Now, I'm saved. You're saved. At least you act like it. <laughs> and I'm playing with you. And that's wonderful. I'm glad I know the Lord. I'm glad you know the Lord. But it's not all about us. And that right there says, under the praise of his glory. Note this verse, 1 Samuel chapter 12, 22, written in the Old Testament, of course, time frame, but it certainly applies to us as uh, the children of God. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Why? For his great name's sake. For the praise of his glory, for his great name's sake. Do you think about that? You're redeemed in Christ for His name's sake. You're not going to be forgotten by God because, why? Because for His name's sake, for His glory. Do you live life thinking about that? What I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm seeing, where I'm going, what I'm participating in? Is it bringing glory to God or not? Is, is this something that I can do for His name's sake or not? 
You know, when I began to think about that a long time ago, I found out I had a lot more free time than I had before. There's <laughs> some things I just had to cut out. Scripture tells us to be very cognizant of anything that even appears, appears to be evil, has even the appearance of sin. Now, what does that mean? On a practical basis, it means there's some places I don't go. There's some people I don't go around, unless I'm trying to lead them to Christ, but I'm not going to have fellowship with them. I'm not going to participate in their deeds. And that's not because I think I'm better than they are. No, I'm just down here in this life continuing for His glory and for His namesake, because if He intended to take me to heaven when He's when he saved me, it was the only person that saved me, the purpose of saving me, he'd kill me when he saved me. And I'd be out of here. Life would be easier. <laughs> I'd be in heaven right now. But for his name's sake and his glory. Years ago, I got this little track. I still have that thing somewhere. It was actually a Xerox copy of a track that a person gave me. The title was simply this, Others May, You May Not. Others may, you may not. And that's true for all of us. There may be some things for some people it would not be sin. But for me it might be or it might lead to sin, you see. So we need to have that cognizant about us. I'm in this, the body of Christ, by the grace of God alone. And I'm not in it just for me. I'm in it because of his glory and for his namesake, and live life with that holy awareness. Look at these verses here, sobering. Listen to this, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. That's serious. The price paid for us to be a part of the family of God. Then this 53, 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, that beloved son in whom he was well pleased. It pleased God to bruise Jesus in our behalf. This is serious. We can't take lightly this aspect of being born of God. He made his soul an offering for sin, not his sin, but ours. Psalm 23, 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Boy, that's good. What's the last phrase? For his name's sake. What does that verse tell us? God does not intend for us to walk in paths of unrighteousness. He purposely leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 106, verse 8. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. So I guess it can be said this way. I'm in this family of God for God and with God for his purposes. And then I can say, but wow, I get all the blessings. We're just serving him with my life. Because he goes before me. He's behind me. He's beside me. He's in me. He's leading me. He's directing me to the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, he's there. God, his love is never ending at all embracing to us. So how we live our daily lives? Privately? Publicly, it's important for his glory. You know, the traces or the tracks that some folks who we might have thought were very outstanding, the tracks their computer left on the computer showed they had another side of life. You know what, really, this is what character, a good definition of character. Character determines what I or you do in the dark when nobody's watching, if that were possible. Our peers may not be watching. 
Our family members may not be watching, but God is watching. And if we're born of God, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of that as well. What we do privately, publicly, do it all for his glory, for his namesake. And of course, it's for our good will, it's good own good as well. Now, all this sequence of love, God's love at work in us, his unique love, his agape love, all this sequence of work in our behalf, let's say for the purpose of illustration, we identify this as God's external work in our behalf, okay? Now remember, I just jumped past the actual work of the Holy Spirit, drawing us, convicting of sin, the regeneration, the new birth. I moved past that and jumped to you know, redeeming love, yes, and then sealing love. But all of this sequence that we've talked about, let's, let's just identify it as God's external work. And now, let's see God's unique work in us. God's unique work. We've been looking at external work. Now let's look at God's unique work in us. 1 John 4, 19. We love Him because He first loved us. Like the song. Now, <clears throat> I wonder, since there's only a quarter inch here, is this from last week or did somebody, <laughs> maybe what Roger drank it. <laughs> Miss Eddie. <laughs> Eddie was the one. We love him because he first loved us. If you, if you start digging around in commentaries, you're going to run across statements about this particular verse, 1 John 4, 19. Some of these statements will be like this. You may say, find a statement. Many Greek manuscripts do not contain the pronoun him after the verb love. Or it may say the best manuscripts do not contain the pronoun him as a direct object of the verb love. So what are they saying? Him is not in, H-I-M, him is not in those, that majority of manuscripts are the best manuscripts or whatever. That's what they're saying, okay? In fact, the New American Standard Version, which is also a formal equivalent translation, by the way, but it uses a different manuscript than Textus Receptus, which the King James comes from. It has that verse this way, we love because he first loved us. No him in there. We love because he first loved us. Now, does that make any big doctrinal difference? <laughs> no. It does not. It does not make any difference because contextually we can see that we're talking about loving God and loving the children of God. It's all in the text. So that particular verse, and I've, by the way, hold of the King James Version, the translation here, we love him because he first loved us. That's true to the word of God. It's true in the context of scriptures from all the way through. You can find that. We love God because he first loved us. So there's no big doctrinal difference here. Now let's look closely at verse 419, 1 John. Love him. Because he first loved us, okay? But let's do the second part of the verse first. Because he loved us. That word because is the little Greek word oti, O-T-I. It is a conjunction, okay? Now what does a conjunction do? A conjunction states a fact, gives a reason for this condition. X is this because of that. For example, the parking lot was wet when you came in. Why? Because it rained. It's, it's a marker of reason or marker of cause, uh, that conjunction is. So, because is, gives a reason why the loving's going on in the first part of the verse. Because he first loved us. That's the marker of reason. Now you can turn over here if you want. Acts 2.24. I'll, I'll just read the verse for you. You may wonder, well, what has this got to do with what you're saying? Hang on. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible, not possible that he should be holden of death. Because it was not possible.
In other words, it was not possible to be otherwise. It's a marker of cause, the cause, the conjunction. The reason he could not be held by death, it couldn't be any other way, impossible to be that way. Now, how does that apply to our text? Let's look at the first part of the verse. Remember, this is agape love. It's not part of our makeup naturally. It became, comes into our lives only as a regenerated, born of God. Then agape love comes into our hearts. We love him. Love is agape, as I mentioned. Now, that is a present tense, active, indicative verb. Okay? Present tense, it means we continue to love him, in our translation, Whoever, in the New American Standard, we continue to love, it's a statement of fact. It's not a possibility. This is fact. We continue to love because, the marker of reason, he first loved us. And of course, as I mentioned, the present tense action means continuing action. We're continuing to love. This is the result, thing from, the fact that God loves us first. Now the question in, in verse 19, well, what about who? New American Center says, we love because he first loved us. King James says, we love him because he first loved us. Of course, I prefer the King James. That's the way I memorized that verse. I'm hanging with this one. But there's no, there's no problem here, ladies and gentlemen. And that's the key thing. It's always a key thing. Is there a doctrinal problem in this interpretation? If it's the King James or this is the New American Standard, the New American Standard is a, a, a good, reliable, the 97 version is a good, reliable, or 1900, good, reliable translation. But you can always compare them together. But there's no doctrinal issue here. This becomes clear as we examine the overall context here. Uh, remember this essence now, this God's essence, this, this agape love is part of God's essence, and it doesn't come into us until he comes into us, okay? At our conversion, 1 John 4, 13, hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. The fact is he has given us his spirit, okay? That's how we know. We dwell in him and he in us. That fact, he has given us the spirit. If you don't have the spirit, what does the word of God say? If you don't have the spirit, you don't have the son. That's it. Well, who is the spirit? The spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. You've not been born of God. 1 John 5.10, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Remember, this is not an evidential verse. This is not, uh, excuse me, it's an evidential verse. It's not a how to be saved verse. It's giving us evidence. Whoever believes the Son of God has the witness in himself. Why, do we say, why is that? Because you cannot confess that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God that came in the flesh apart from the Holy Spirit of God in you. You might say that with your, from your Adam's apple up. But you don't save it as a converted person that knows for certain this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You can't do it. It's impossible. Spiritually discerned only, only by those who have the Spirit in them. So this, uh, again, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not hath made God a liar, because he's not believed the record that God gave of his Son. And he can't believe it unless he's born of God. You can't make that confession about Christ unless the Spirit is in you, a part of the regenerative work of Christ, God in us. So the affirmation, confirmation of our salvation is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, but in the process, He fills our heart with this love that we've not known heretofore. This agape love, the Holy Spirit puts in us, Romans 8, 5, 5, and hope maketh not ashamed, Paul wrote, because, that word again, because, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So here's this Holy Spirit revealing to us, yes, you're a child of God. Here I am in you. 
When you experience me, you know you're in him and he is in you. And he sheds abroad that unique agape love of God in our hearts that we've never here before known. Which results, it results in our loving God with what? Agape love. His essence in us. We're, it's a derivative love. We're, we're loving him back for what he loved us first with in the first place. Wow, I have a new love in me and I have a love for God that I had capacity to have before because it didn't, wasn't in me. Now I'm loving God with the love he loved me with first. Well, love of God shed abroad in our hearts. It's a derivative love, isn't it? God loved us first. We're born of God. Holy Spirit sheds that love abroad in our hearts. What love? That love, that unique love. So our loving God, we're loving him with a, the derivative love, a part of his essence. So we're reciprocating in love. Another benefit of this, of course, is that agape love in us drives out fear. 1 John 4, 17 19. Herein is our love made perfect. We'll talk about that in a moment. But that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so we are in the world. No fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear has torment. But he that feareth is not made perfect in love. So if you've got fear and torment, thinking about the day of judgment, or where you stand before God, what does it mean? You're not born of God. That's what the Word of God says. But this love of God that's been placed in our hearts, shed abroad by the Holy Spirit of God in us, what? It's convincing us that we belong to God, and wow, we're loving God like we never knew how to love God before. And this is that flowing of God, love of God, this way. We're loving God, okay? Now, there's another aspect of that. And this is the fruit of God's love in us. The fruit of God's love within us. 1 John 4, 7, here's our heart made perfect, our love made perfect, excuse me, that we have boldness in the day of judgment again. We have no fear about this. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the judgment of the unredeemed, by the way. This is at the rapture and all that. We have no fear of that. Paul didn't fear facing the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't fear facing the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless we're living in blatant sin. <laughs> and we need to fear that because we're going to be corrected by the Father because he always spanks and corrects his children to get out of line. No fear in love. Perfect love. So we have boldness in that future day Thinking about that future day, we have boldness. Thinking about it now, and we'll have boldness then. Because perfect love has cast out fear now. Perfect love, that agape love in us, has cast out fear now. Okay, so I don't have fear looking forward because the fear has been dealt with now by the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life shedding abroad that love of God in me. The word perfect, teleos. You know, we have, we know what perfectionism is. We think get hang, tangled up with that. Perfect is a Greek word teleos, and it means complete. It means mature. It means uh, coming to the point of its, what it was intended for. That's the way God's love comes to us. Perfect. Teleos, mature, of course. That's the way God's love comes to us. And then, as we're experiencing this perfect love of God, the agape love, this unique love in us, and we're going along in life as a redeemed person, we're experiencing this love, we're growing in understanding of his love, and we're loving him more. And it's coming to fruition then, his purpose, his love, the purpose of his love, in us. We love God as our Heavenly Father, and we can love Him as our Heavenly Father 
and worship with God at the same time. I'm talking about the, let's use the word reverence because in other places of the fear of God, there, so there's no fear of God in the wicked's eyes. What well, it means there's no reverence in her. Well, but let's use the word reverence. We can love God as our Father, and we can reverence God as God at the same time. But we cannot <coughs> approach Him in love and hide from Him in fear at the same time. Fear and love are like oil and water, don't work. So where fear is, there's a warning. We've got to deal with this. Either we're not born of God, or we've got some sin, we've got to get out of the way because we've got conviction and we're all in turmoil because we're out of step spiritually or whatever it is. have to deal with it. <clears throat> but if there's fear of punishment from God abiding in us, now in this life or what we may incur at the judgment seat, it may be a sign that we're not ready for the judgment day of Christ then because our present status means we may not be there in that judgment. Never been born of God. Secondly, the agape love in us, loving God as our Father, creates in us a desire to obey Him. You want to obey. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous, uh, 5.3 of John. And we have, well, <laughs> these commandments, not, they don't grieve me. These are God's laws of love. These are protective directions, directives for my life and yours. They're grievous. We want to obey Him. Now, that's His work in us. Now see the love of God, this unique love of God through us. 1 John 4, 21. This is a commandment we have from God, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Remember, this is an evidential verse, not a how to get saved verse. And everyone that loveth him that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. You see, it's tied together and it cannot be separated. That's it. We can't love God and hate a brother in Christ. Verse 20 of 420 says, <clears throat> if, a man love, if a man say, I, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Because it's impossible. The love of God and the love for our siblings in Christ Jesus is together linked and it cannot be separated. First John 411 certainly <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, though, God dwelleth in us. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. Now, what does that perfected mean again? It means the, it's brought to completion. What God intends, intended in the beginning for that agape love being placed in us. We're loving him. We're reciprocating love to him with the love that he placed in us, and it's His love, and we're loving Him back with it. And also, though, we're loving this way, we're loving our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And that's the perfection that we're talking about, the completion of God's love, vertically and horizontally, as we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't separate them. Now, you know, I've been around long enough that I'm not stupid, okay, in some ways. I've pastored a lot of people through the years, and I know people can get crossways with each other, okay, and get aggravated with each other and even get mad. Genuine believers. But you know what? If they're genuine born of God believers, that's not going to stay that way. The Holy Spirit's going to work in both of them, on both sides of the equation, and the conviction's going to come, and they respond to that conviction, and confession's going to come, and then apologies were necessary or whatever, but they are going to come together again. When my children, were, our children, Waverly and I, our children were small, they got 
all tangled up, mad at each other. Wayward and I, we'd make them stand together in the middle of the den, hugging each other. And we told them, if you don't hug each other tight, we won't spank both of your bottoms. And they'd be so angry. Just, and then they, after a little bit, just standing, they'd start laughing. Battle's over. One time, Wayward and I were having a little bit of a serious discussion in the kitchen. Bethany, my younger daughter, who comes in here with her family, she came peeling around the corner. She's about nine or ten years old. She's, all right, you two start hugging each other. It cracked Wayward and I up, so we just stood there and hugged each other. Loved hugging her anyway. So <laughs> the battle was over there. We weren't having a real battle. That's the Spirit of God loving us and loving Him. And because we love Him, we want to obey Him. And because we want to obey Him, we don't want to be crosswise with our brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. He was bruised for them just like He was bruised for us, right? How can I despise someone for whom He died? And some people are harder to love than others. And you know, there's people out there, oh, I just love everybody. Just love everybody. They're lying. I don't love everybody, and you don't either. But you know something? It's amazing. It's a fascinating thing. You've experienced it time and again in your lives. You can be somewhere shopping or, or wherever you are at some meeting, and just a chance encounter, you think, but all of a sudden, here's this other believer. And there's a koinonia. There's a fellowship there that's not of this world because it's not of the world. It didn't come from the world. There's a fellowship there between this person whom you'd never seen before and yourself as your hearts are knit together. So true is to remember, God indwells every one of his redeemed children. We love him with the agape love that he's placed in each of us. When we love our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we're actually part and parcel. When we love our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we're actually loving God who is in each one of our brothers and sisters. Got that? He is in them. He is in us. We're loving each other, and we're loving the God in them with the agape love he's placed in both of us. And as we completely surrender ourselves to loving God, you know what's going to happen? Divisions are going to cease. I've done a lot of marital counseling through the years. I'm about to run out of time here before I start my second sermon. <laughs> but I'd get the couple in my office to talk. And I would, I a little string, <clears throat> tied two rocks together, stretch out the string, put them on front of my desk. And we'd talk a while. Talk about trying to find where they are spiritually. Sort of. Then I explained to them, look, if both of you have this problem Maybe think about the divorce or whatever. But you've got this problem, but I'm going to tell you that this formula works that I know for a fact it works. If each one of you will totally surrender your <clears throat> pardon me, totally surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ individually, you know what's going to happen? The same thing happens. You're both over here, represented by these two rocks, far apart now emotionally. But you both totally surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that happens when I pick up on this string, just sober so gently, and the rocks start moving across slowly until they come together. And that's the truth of God in Christ Jesus concerning any broken relationship, ladies and gentlemen. It takes two people totally surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, loving God with a love that he's placed in them. Well, Jesus said this. By this. By what? By this, love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples when you love one another. And they know that because this love that we have between us as disciples, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus is not of the world. It's not out there in the world. And they see something in us that they don't have. And they see enough of it. Who knows? They might want some of that as well. Well, 
electing love, sending love, redeeming love, saving love, indwelling love. This song really captures it, really, this hymn. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star, reaches to the lowest hell. The wandering ch child is reconciled by, by God's beloved son. The aching soul again made whole and priceless pardon won. Could we with ink the ocean fill where the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill and everyone a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though it stretched from sky to sky. The wonderful love of God demonstrated openly and publicly and unashamedly in Christ Jesus as he was pleased to bruise him in our behalf. How can we not love God and love each other because he died for us all in Christ Jesus? Let's pray. Love you, Master. Love you, Father. Lord God, let us live out our lives manifesting to each other and to the world that we love you and each other. Lord, grace us to do it your way for your name's sake, for your honor, glory, and for your praise, O oh God. That our lives, Lord, might be a clear, distinct witness individually and corporately together in fellowship, that we belong to thee, that others might say, wow, they have something that I don't have, I need to find out about. Thank you, Master, for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.